Welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. Welcome everybody to the Kim Barrett Show. Welcome everybody to the Kim Barrett Show. Welcome everybody to the Kim Barrett Show. Welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. And welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. Welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. So it paid off then to really answer it honestly. And now and so, I can compete in something that I'm really good at. So that's even better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I love that. So once someone gets that and understands themselves, like what are some of the aspects that they can then obviously tap into? What are some of the things that start to change for them from that perspective? Yes. Well, there's five layers to what they learn about themselves. One is their raw talents that are wired in their brain to be fast and accurate at and another I talked about was the brain's optimal focus and their blind spots that need to be integrated into how they grow. And the third is their deepest drives. And once, you know, we uncover our deepest drives, we can see, ooh, I was making decisions based on something I didn't even realize that I would sacrifice anything else for. It's like you were saying before, to beat the competition, to look good, to prove to whoever that I'm valuable and successful, um, to make sure I never get trapped, you know, all, all of the different reasons that we have to be safe. And so that's always one of the biggest that they walk away with. And we always switch it from, yeah, I'm wired to have a focus on, say, for example, winning quality, giving quality in everything that I do. But I don't want to think about that anymore in terms of, oh, I got to prove it. But I want to think about it in terms of, yep. I add value wherever I go. Where do I want to add value now? And then plug that into their most fascinating interests, their deepest values, and their other strengths that we evaluated. So it puts it all together into not just the data of, oh, you'd be good at this, but also why are you doing it? And how can you do it from the healthiest drives that are within you? So, and when people work with you and they go through this and they understand these things, how often is it a pretty much a being that obviously you are a coach in the career space? How often is it a flip of a, of a career or a change of career or like going and starting a business? Like what? Because it sounds like to me as well, when I hear some of the things, I was like, I feel like there could be a lot of uh, new business owners formed after they kind of chat with you because they might be like, do I want to actually have a job like this? Like what's the sort of breakdown after? Like what are some of the changes that you see? Definitely entrepreneurship comes out of it. People see that, oh my God, I've been dreaming about this since I was a little kid and I never thought I could actually do it. So I did so many other years being a flight attendant and being a this and being a that and being a manager. And it turns out that I have all the talent to be the designer. I have all the raw talent for it. No wonder I do it all the time in my spare time. And so then they just walk out with this confidence like, yeah. I can make this work. I've got talents and I've actually been developing it. You know, even though it's been a hobby, I've been developing expertise in it for 40 years. So I have a great platform to go on from there. And also I know the heart of why I want to design for people now. I know what, what I want to bring into their space. So they're just confident and they go out and they can get started right away. But also you'll have college students that are dropping out because they don't like their major, they feel lost. And they, you know, after we've gone through the program, they'll say, okay, I know what I want to be in college for. I'm not dropping out anymore. I don't have to just go home and live with my parents perpetually. 
I have something I want to contribute out in the world and I know what it is and I know how I'm going to do it. Even with pandemic coming, you know, new college students coming out into the marketplace, some of them are the first to be let go, but they would say, this hasn't shaken my confidence at all because I know exactly who I am, why I'm here and what I'm doing. And I know I'll get there. So those are two examples. Um, Also, people just re-engineer their job where they are. A great example, a woman was working in a tech organization and all day long she was taking tech support calls and saying, uh, you know, emergencies basically that she was dealing with others. And she's just started to get how you feel about your career really affects how you feel about yourself and your whole life. So she was feeling like, I guess I'm good at nothing. I, I don't even like myself anymore. I should probably leave this job. But after looking at her results, she realized, oh my gosh, I've put in two years. I know everything about this tech support role, but I am wired to be a manager and make sure the resources get to the tech support people. So with that, she um, went into her boss, put in her application for a management role, was moved right in and has been enjoying her job ever since and really getting such great feedback about the value she adds for the company. So there's another example of how it can turn out. What was everything else kind of missing? Like, What were some of the things you guys identified where you were like, look, it, this is only, you know, it only goes so far. Yeah. So most personality tests, they tell you who you are right now, but they don't give you a roadmap for change. So they basically say, you're an ENFJ and this is who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Like, here are your tendencies. Good luck. Hope it works out for you. And I come from a, a personal development coaching background where we help people change things about themselves and transform areas of their life that aren't working. And I know that human beings transform and can transform. So we wanted like the current tests basically put you in a box. You're designed to stay there and they're actually designed to keep you there. So that if the, basically there's designed for stability, meaning that if someone changes their answers as they evolve and grow, the test is considered not valid, but actually in many cases, that's the evidence of people's evolution. That's the evidence of their growth and the transformation they're happening. So that's a huge thing. um, is one of the gaps. Is there anything else, Sarah, that you kind of saw that as you were going through them? I think those are definitely the main ones is the, we, we're humans, like we're created to evolve. That's how we've survived up until now. And so Tess not tracking that is a huge shortage. And yeah, I think James covered most of it. Most of the big ones that were motivators. Yeah. The other thing is like the lack of specificity. So we already kind of talked about it, but we like literally there are billions of potential outcomes to the test. So every answer you get is going to be very specific to you. It's very unlikely that any other human on earth is going to have the same unique cluster of traits and blind spots. And so in that way, you're a very, very unique profile. So that's another aspect where it's just a lot more specific. So what are the pros for someone who's a business owner, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. like being able to understand these things? What's, what's the big benefits for them of really diving in and understanding this? So if you run a business, knowing with precision your actual traits and strengths tells you a lot. It tells you, number one, who you need to hire to support you. Because if you're, unless you're a solopreneur, like ha- having a team is a part of the deal. So making sure your team is actually a correct fit with you. And then not just that, but understanding your team well enough so that they can be motivated to do what it is you want them to do. Because there are so many ways that we ascribe motivation and meaning to our reality that if you can understand that for each of your team members you can speak to them in like their native tongue 
right? And they may all speak English, but we all have a native tongue in terms of our emotions and the things that matter to us and the framework through which we think of ourselves in the world. So it's super useful. It's like cheat codes for knowing how to lead your team and who to even you need on your team in the first place. Awesome. I love that. Would you add anything to that, Jara? No, I think that's all encompassing to what it really does for teams. I think, yeah, the right team, where your breakdowns are so you can set up your accountability on the things you do want to learn. And then for business partners, like you already mentioned between us, like, okay, is this really, are we the right mesh for the goal that we're working towards? It's very clarifying. And how do you even work together? Because that's such an intimate relationship. So generally speaking, it's uh, it's never a, a lead problem. It's a conversion of lead problem yep. generally that we find with most people. Sure. Well, let's let's do a scenario right now. I mean, a real scenario you can all relate to. Let's say you have a lead, a first call with someone over the phone, and it's a good conversation. They're qualified, could be a good fit. It seems like a good opportunity for you. And the call kind of comes to a close for the first call. What do we normally say to someone in a call like that? Not a trick question. What's the normal thing in sales supposed to say to someone that looks like there's an opportunity there? What do you say to them typically? I know that most people will be like, cool, well, either I can send you some more information and we can have another call in, a, in next week or something. Yeah, we are conditioned to move people forward, aren't we? Because mm. we are trained to believe the process is to move them to a next step. What happens if you try and move somebody forward at the beginning and they aren't ready yet? What are your break with them right there in the process? So for my beard products, it has to be eco-friendly, sustainable. Some of our products, most is the most that we can is organic. So it, it aligns with our values. And it also builds a brand to where it also funnels. When people are seeing our, my high-end videos, when I'm doing funny videos of my marketing, what happens is that they also get into that, that loop. A lot of people, when they, when they start going down a rabbit hole, they're like, well, who's their wife? Who's their kid? And then they start seeing the videos. And when then... What it does, it leads them into our branding agency. You're like, oh, that's how you actually do this. And so I've made much more revenue with the beard company through the branding agency. And it's just because it's funneling back into what we do. We have two clients in our program. Both have the identical systems that we're using. The first program is called the Lioness Project, right? The second business name is called the New Mama Initiative. Now... We're working with, you know, new mums, right? That's really niche. We're solving a specific problem with the business name, right? And then on the other side of things, we have the Lioness Project, which is really confusing. What is that, right? It doesn't quite make sense. The crazy thing that we're finding is that just by simply changing that business name makes all the difference in the world. Two parts, right? So yeah. there's the connecting with the audience and then there's, there's connecting with the platform that you can generate PR on. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. you've shared little tidbits on both then so for someone if they go great now i've got an idea yeah how do they assess you know, like i'm gonna sit i'm gonna put a uh a foot in the door yeah uh, you know something like that i want to do something like i've got a cool idea like that i want to get noticed yeah how do they assess the platform to go after yeah and then how do they find out because as you say like let's just say if i didn't know that you said there's certain bosses at the radio that i could speak to I, would, I may not know to go and think about hitting, hitting those people up. Mm. Like, do I just go, dear boss, 9.9, send my shoe? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, how do I then go and find those people? Yeah, well, I think too, like, again, we have so much at our fingertips now. Like, mm. you know, when I started in radio, Facebook and all that was just coming out. <laughs> you know, you can literally go on Twitter and majority of people are sit on Twitter now or 
social media, like, you know, just here locally in Perth, all of the people who work in the paper in Perth all have profiles on Instagram. So open the paper and literally find out who has written a story recently, like in the business section about a mum who's just had an amazing breakthrough with her product. Go, oh, fuck, that's a person I need to go stalk. Find them on Instagram and then, you know, contact them or start building a relationship. Just start liking their stuff. Start, like, showing up in their DMs, liking their story. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's why I believe, like, showing up is so important and showing your face because that's how we build connection. But, you know, like, I think back in the day, right, like, no, you didn't know who anyone was on the radio. You didn't know who anyone was in the paper. But now... People have online profiles and it's so easy as you as buying the paper or buying the magazine that you like or jumping online if it's, um, I was going to say girlfriend magazine. I don't know why that came to my head. But like, Does that still exist? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. But, you know, like um, what's a big one these days? See, I guess what I teach now, which I believe is that you can confidently put yourself out there and you don't need to rely on media anymore because a lot of the time, if you did get press, great. Not saying it's a bad thing or you did get, um, you know, on, on a TV show or whatever, a lot of the time you're speaking to a cold audience. Mm. So I teach you what you can do with that. Like, so if you do have that moment, how can you make that a massive moment? So it's not just this one moment in the paper or on a TV show. How can you keep repurposing that, making noise on your platforms, in your business, like really taking it to the next level? But to me, this is more important right now, me and you having a chat like this, mm. for me, my business, my profile, than me getting like, you know, the the... Um, the Australian or whatever, like, you know, the West Australian or whatever to cover a story on me now, mm. you know, because to be honest, probably my audience aren't really reading the paper. Mm. So not saying that it's a bad thing. People think like, oh, they're in the paper, like they're famous. Or they got on the radio, like they're famous. I believe that, you know, this conversation here is so much more important. So people should be pitching themselves for podcasts. They should be thinking about how they can collaborate with other women on, you know, not about competition. Like, literally, where are all your um, competitors, you know? Like, oh, sorry, where are all your ideal clients? They're probably with your competitors. So how can you collaborate with them? Can you do a live? Can you guys come together? You know, I got told this the other day. Like, all of these, um, you know, uh, what, are, what am I trying to say here? You know, all these, because I'm trying not to sneeze at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, when you go to a car yard, you walk down the car yard, they're all lined up next to each other because they know where their ideal clients are. They're going to be going to the next car yard, you know. So it's the same thing. Like, I believe so much in collaboration. So show up on how can you do a collaboration on a live on Instagram? How can you do a workshop with someone else, you know? Like, how can you start to think outside the traditional norms because people think oh i've got my name in the paper i've got on the radio oh my god i'm famous it's such a big deal like i think that you know pr is so much more than that and so obviously you mentioned there you can use it for uh almost like spiritual breakthrough type work as well what are some of the other things that you can do with breath because i think sometimes as you say people might just be like oh is the breathing just like to calm down like they do in yoga like but what are some of the different avenues that you've seen and use breath for and even in your business as well what yeah what are some of those like aspects that you used it for yeah so with circular connected breath in particular which is the main style that i lead and that i love and that's the first style that i fell in love with and got introduced to um, a lot of those uses can be to connect deep to yourself, 
get business clarity, um, figure out your life's purpose, let go of past trauma, a lot of inner child healing, a lot of shadow work. And then when we have other more simple forms of breath work, for example, box breath is a really great technique where we can just breathe in for four counts through our nose, hold for four, exhale for four through our nose, and then hold for four and repeat that several rounds. And that's really good for calming your mind, grounding yourself, feeling not as stressed. The Navy SEALs used to use that breathing technique before they would, you know, have to be on and have game time. So yeah, it's, I mean, breathwork has been around for so many years. There's so much that you can do with it. I think the more challenging question would be what can't you do with breath work? Because you can also use it with Tantra and connecting deeply with your partner. I like to say that the breath is like a metaphor. So the inhales are like, what are you taking into your life? What are you creating consciously with your efforts and with your business and with what you're launching? Whereas the exhales is what's been in your way? What is the the fog in your brain that you need to let go of and, and release? Um, recently I had a massive breakthrough in my relationship and the analogy that came through was like, there's alphabet soup in my brain and we need to drain it, <laughs> you know, like create space to receive the new. And I love that because sometimes we do need to release in order to create space to receive. And other times we're ready. We're like empty. We're ready. Like what's next? What's next universe? What am I here to really create? And so what I found is that using different styles of breathwork, especially circular connected breathwork with my business coaching clients has been huge because the number one thing that I hear is I feel disconnected from my vision. I feel disconnected from my business and I'm confused on my messaging. And all of those can be solved in one breathwork session because you reconnect to yourself first and you reconnect to, oh yeah, this is why I became an entrepreneur. This is why I took that scary leap of faith that wasn't as comfortable as the nine to five that I was doing before. So it's really profound, the things that come through. And um, it also makes my job a lot easier because I just empower them to unlock a lot of the gifts and then we integrate it and whip it up into a business plan and they execute it. And it's awesome. Um, and you know that it's created from the heart and the soul rather than the head and looking and seeing what everyone else is doing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. I was going to ask you, what have been some of the cool shifts that you've seen with your clients, obviously helping them do that to integrate, to realign with what they you know, what they first started their business for? What have been some of the cool shifts after um, a few sessions with you that you've seen um, clients experience? Yeah, I've seen so many. Goodness, I don't even know which ones to share. One of my clients, Lauren, she is amazing. And she's had multiple incredible experiences with breathwork. Um, what's interesting is that she really identifies as spiritual in nature and that um, she's done a lot of like consciousness work. And she was raised Jewish. And in one of the sessions, she said that Jesus came to her, which is pretty crazy. She's like, I was taught that Jesus doesn't exist. This is wild. Like, why is he coming to me? And apparently Jesus had a message for her and was like, oh yeah, like you don't need to have fear. Fear is simple. And it just stands for feel everything and release. And how lucky are you that you get to also be a coach and support people and change people's lives? Like I couldn't use my voice. I'm giving you the power now to use your voice and your business and to share everything that is on your heart because I know that you're fully connected to your heart and like you are that messenger right now. You have full permission. And like in that moment, she felt this like 
huge energy in her throat and then just like started crying and releasing. And it was really beautiful. And afterwards she was like, that's crazy. (laughs) Like what? I never believed in Jesus up until now. I've personally never seen Jesus in breathwork. (laughs) I'm not um, particularly religious, although also very spiritual, um, but have seen a lot of really incredible things from other realms, which just puts you into perspective with how magical life is and how tiny uh, our thoughts are and how tiny, like it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And when we can open ourselves up to what is the energy that's bigger than us, it just feels like you have this edge that other entrepreneurs don't have. Fill us in a little bit more about what you guys do and like what some of the impact it has on on campaigns and and you know, marketing and advertising in general for people. Yeah. And it's interesting because for a very long time, small businesses, and, and I'll, I'll do a quick screen share here. A lot of the small businesses had to use tools that look like this, right? Very clunky, very old school and very linearly designed, almost like by engineers for engineers. But hey, they get the job done, which is, you know, just like a BlackBerry, you can make a phone call, but by no means is it an iPhone. In our case, obviously you can put in social content, you can schedule it when to post, where to post, and that's it. But how how do I tell you as a platform what you could have done better, right? Was it the emojis you could have done better with? Was it the text, the hashtags? That's how you get discovered. Was it the image, the size of the image or what's in the image? None of those, you know, data points or in questions are ever answered. And so you're kind of left in a position where you're like, you're kind of winging it and you're kind of taking gut-based decisions when it comes to marketing, right? But guess what? Your biggest competitors, the biggest competitors in your industry that have unlimited marketing budgets, they're not winging it. They have hundreds of people working on their campaigns. They have expensive tools that look, you know, more like this, which makes you feel like you need a PhD in marketing. And also they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. This would probably cost you 50 to 500000 thousand dollars in the US to use a tool like this. But again, even they don't have any sense of intelligence built in because again, you have to curate your own content, you have to use your own intelligence. So one of the benefits of our platform is first of all, there's a lot of white space. We just believe that if you're giving a blunt knife to a chef, he's not going to be happy. If you're giving a broken hammer to a carpenter, good luck getting anything built, right? So a lot of white space, everything is colored and the colors indicate functionality. So purple, to your point, are all of the campaigns. Every time you schedule a campaign, every time you look at a feature that's creating a campaign, that is purple. Every time you're doing something related to single posts, which are just one-time posts, and you can launch those from the library, which is where all the content is stored, or directly from here, everything will be in a light blue color. And that's to kind of help you grasp the idea of what is long-term scheduling in terms of content distribution, and what is one-at-a-time short-term distribution, right? Simply put, we also don't leave you, you know, to your own devices. Like if you want to start typing you know, content, all you have to do is just say, how are, and it gives you the suggestions of, oh, hey, Kim, do you mean how are you? Of course I do. Exactly. Tab my way through. And then I can say, I love you and my coffee, which I didn't make coffee today. So I, I am missing coffee. And of course we do love you, Kim. But that's the ability for you to, you know, automatically complete the sentence for and let the platform do it for you. Now, of course, emojis are incredibly important. This is a hidden secret of marketing today and don't take my word for it take the word from adobe right emojis tend to drive significant uplift and engagement and if you take a look at a report by adobe called the emoji trend report not too old just about a year old you'll see that emojis tend to drive double digit uplifts in engagement but also purchase intent people are willing to buy more and be in a more transactional mindset so then we obviously want to figure out which emojis are good to use, which ones you know you shouldn't be using. In fact, we go one step further, we figure out which emojis are actually being used 
in real time. And one of the best ways I can show you exactly how this works is if you type in, and this is a search engine we built to kind of give you an you know, understanding of how the backend works, this will start figuring out why are we giving you those emoji recommendations based on those words, based on those hashtags. It's very much like teaching a kid contextual language. It's not about the chair being just a chair with four legs. It's about the chair goes well with the living room, that goes well with the dining room, and so on and so forth, right? This is all available for 4 or $5 a month. This is the data science we give you at your fingertips then that's kind of the capability we're you know really talking about when it comes to you know giving the underdog the small business owner just an un unprecedented capability to win i love that and obviously the you know as you mentioned because a lot of times people go oh cool i look at some of this research but how do i know if i'm making the right choices and that's what i like when you first showed me i was like this makes sense because it's like cool i can go and chuck hashtags into you know a facebook ad that i write but how do I know if that hashtag has that without doing a million different split test variation, testing every single emoji under the sun, how do I know that my emoji that I use there is the correct one versus anything else? And, and that's what you guys pull together, right? Yep, absolutely. And you can even upload an image and we'll figure out what's in the image and give you a hashtag based on that, which I didn't show you right now. But the, the point is you could have done all of this, right? But you could have gone from Australia to New York and you could have swam and, you know, driven the whole way. But uh, you probably appreciate a Tesla or something that's automated and gets you from point A to point B. And this helps you focus on the rest of your business. Now, I always like to open with this question because I think it's interesting to, to hear because I've already done a bit of an intro about you. But what I'd love to know is that if you were at a party and someone comes up to you and they're like, man, great to meet you. What do you do? What do you tell them? Dude, I love that you asked me this because everybody, first of all, whenever they go to an event or especially a networking event, I help, you know, they do this business thing. I help these people with this problem. And so the first words out of their mouth when you get asked something like that is I. So people ask you what you do and they make it all about themselves. And it seems like you should, but when people listen to you and you say what you do, especially at a networking event, everybody is really just focused on themselves. Mm. And so they introduce themselves and nobody, everybody's got this canned opening elevator pitch statement and it never goes anywhere. And so you always want to sound different. And depending on the context, if I'm doing something in the context of business, I always know who's going to be there. So I've done some research. And the first phrase out of my, my mouth will sound something like this. Well, you know how. Well, you know how. And so it sounds different initially. Or if it's just a couple of us and somebody introduces me or we're connecting, somebody might ask me what I do. And I say, well, it might be better if I gave you an example of the kind of things I do. Is that okay? And it's a permission-based question. And then I might tell a story. And, you know, if there's somebody there I really want to connect with, or they're just like, they're seeing me talk and connect with people. They're like, man, what do you do? You know, somebody will come up to me and say that. I say, well, you know how a lot of podcasters, people have online businesses today and they're doing that to market, but it's not equaling dollars in the bank account. They're not getting sales. What I do is I teach people like that, how they can create systems in their business that double their conversions and make more money. What would you do now, you know, knowing what we know now, go wind the clock back to, you know, January, February, March, what you would do differently, what things you would have in, have in place. And is that sort of something that you get them to, you know, like theoretically scenario, I don't want to say scenario rise, but go through that scenario and put those plans in place in their business now, or what was the sort of feedback your, uh, your clients that you're giving to your clients at the moment? I think scenario planning is very important, Kim. And 
a lot of organisations that I know do it. In smaller organisations, not so much. You don't have the resources to go through those sorts of scenario options. I mean, I remember a large organisation I worked in, we had a team of McKinsey consultants come in and play war games with us, which was an extraordinarily expensive, but also an extraordinarily valuable exercise. But most organisations don't have the resources to go to that length. What I would say is that most of my clients don't need any guidance from me about the fact that they were left short. Most of them actually know that. They know the problems they've had. And through that experience, they're going to really, really gain and grow so that for their context, they can put in place some measures that let them see the milestones coming ahead and react differently in the future. So I think that's an entirely positive thing. Just in terms of people's ability to withstand these shocks, I think there's a whole lot of work that we do in leadership around navigating ambiguity. And the ambiguity that we find ourselves in now is extreme, as, as we all know. It's a very obvious statement, I know. But getting people to think through how they do that and to turn ambiguity and uncertainty into competitive advantage, that's really where leadership comes into its own. So if you can make bold and decisive moves with really good decisions in times of high ambiguity, that is incredibly valuable. Because if you're struggling with it, all of your competitors are struggling with it as well. The ones who win in a market are the ones who as leaders can make bold, decisive moves, understanding all of the risks and turn that into value. You mentioned there's like a few learning experiences there, which I'm sure, uh, I mean, like in the NFT and crypto space, that can be pretty uh, painful on on the hip pocket. Once you started to understand the space, what made projects kind of good and work and, and kind of grow from there, what were some of the first ones that you started looking at flipping and trading and, um, and really kind of leveraging? Because I know that a lot of people really get sometimes addicted to, they buy in something like, oh, this project sounds amazing and they get like, really precious with it versus being like, well, do you treat it as like an asset? Do you try and treat it like a stock that you buy low, you know, sell high? Like how did you start thinking about it from that perspective? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's two types of trading in this space. There's kind of the short-term trading, which is, you know, just sort of flipping and scalping, whatever you want to call it, where it's just like get in, get out and try to make a little bit of profit. And then there's that longer-term trading, which is like, okay, you know, this is a team and, and a project that I believe in. I want to park some capital here. Um, and then, you know, you kind of leave it for, for two, three, maybe six months, who knows? Um, you know, I, I was kind of, uh, uh, you know, I was a little bit late to the, the Board 8 Yacht Club and I um, saw them going at like 15, 20 ETH and I was like, you know, it's a little bit crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. And that's because I was busy in that flipping mindset. I thought, you know, that's not really, for, you know, it's not really something I can flip too comfortably. Um, and I hadn't really developed that idea of thinking about, okay, good teams, longer term investment and starting to see it more as an asset. So, um, you know, when you when you break down what those two categories are, the short term is really like, it's really just a supply-demand equation. It's like, okay, um, I can see that if I manage to get my hands on one of these, it's going to be easy to move it on. Like there's a there's a there's a raffle for the allowers, for example, or you know, it's a I've got allowers through another collection. It's in some way or another, I've been lucky enough to be able to mint it or buy it, and I can see that you know what the volume's crazy, the demand is crazy, and it's very likely that I'm going to you know get in and out with a bit of profit. And that's that's how I kind of started. <clears throat> and then I you know, like I said, it became okay. This team has got a lot of experience. These are some really great developers. They really understand brand user experience. Um, they're really passionate about the space. They're backed by incredible investors. You know, and now I spend a lot more time looking for those, you know, 0.1% teams um, because there's not a lot of them uh, where I can kind of, you know, put a significant amount of capital behind it and, and feel comfortable leaving it for, you know, several months at a time. And 
Um, some of the recent ones, you know, like Azuki was an example of that. I, I saw what they were doing really early on, put quite a bit into it, but I just saw that, you know, these guys are well-connected, super talented, really passionate about the space. And, you know, that was like a two-month play for me, but it was super profitable. So it was just about making that shift in mindset, really. But what are some of the things people could do to start thinking about how to separate themselves out of those those red oceans and into that category of one? If I've helped someone and they've had a transformational experience, that transformation is uniquely yours and mine. We sell the transformation. We sell the story. The product is irrelevant. Okay, that's number one. Number two, it comes down to our delivery. So I've got a unique way of expressing myself and you, and our interaction is a little symphony uh, it could be just a little melody, but ideally it's a symphony. And if I can describe the before, during, and after, what the day in the life of us together is like, that is unique as well. And then finally, I've learned that without exception, the process we go through will be unique. The way in which you articulate and talk about systems and the way in which you go through the process of implementation of them, I think is is just phenomenal because I know for us, I've tried to encourage our team to focus on systems. But a lot of the time previously, like before all the craziness going on in the world, it's been me like do systems, like speaking at people, put systems in place. Now everyone's like, oh, cool. How can we do things better? How can we improve all this craziness going on? Let's make some changes. I'm similar to you in that I also read a bunch of books like The E-Myth. I love Traction. Gino Wickman's work, Rocket Fuel, is another book that he's done that's excellent. Scaling Up, Built to Sell by John Warrillo. Like, there's a lot of books in the space, but I actually felt all of the work that's out there at the moment all speaks to building the case for why you systemize. But I've found every discussion I have had with every business owner, we all agree business systems are important. It's just that they're very rarely urgent and the business owner thinks that they need to be the one that creates them. So they're important, so it stays on their to-do list, but everything else jumps in front of it because the business owner is busy. They've got to be the busiest person in the business oftentimes, especially when you're in startup mode, so they never, ever, ever get to it. So the systemology, it's the system for systemizing a business and it's, it's to speak to, okay, you're sold on the idea of systems, but where do you start? What system comes first? How do you then loop your team in? How do you take the business owner out of the process? What tools do you need to think about on where you're storing them? How do you get buy-in from the staff to make sure that they actually follow the process? Then how do you think about scaling and when to think about optimization? So that's kind of what led me to the conclusion to do it. You mentioned a lot is like this number one is like the systems and processes because I think especially these days when I look at what people do and you look at social media and the impact it has on businesses. It's very easy to forget that you've actually got to run a proper business. You've got to have the systems and processes in place. And um, you know, and obviously the success your businesses have had from that has been tremendous. What was it that made you, because obviously you, you speak in there about, okay, cool, making sure that the, the benefit of a company having those things goes back to the actual people that run the company and like the stakeholders in there. Why do you think, like, what was it that clicked with you for that to, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for, like to make that actually reality? Because a lot of people go, oh, we want to reward our stakeholders, but then you actually have done that. What made you click in your head to go, this is what I need to do for make my companies become successful? Yeah, because uh, I took my first business public when I was 29 years old on the American Stock Exchange. 
and I used I went the route of private equity, private investors, private equity, and and raised money from some of the most prestigious people and institutions in the globe, and really was excited about the traction I was getting. And then one day, about six years into it, I got a phone call that said, "Hey, we're liquidating the fund you're in. You're you know you're in a a two and a half billion dollar fund." Uh, that has done so well that we're liquidating it. I thought that sounds great. That sounds exciting. What they what they meant is they wanted me to sell my business and turn it to cash. And I was like, why would I do that? We're just now starting to get traction. We're just now starting to dominate. Like I built the systems. I'm ready to go. And they're like, yeah, yeah. All the entrepreneurs say that, but you're selling your business. And I had to take a position of I'm not selling it. And that very uh, quickly, their response was, well, you all say that too. So we've already got your new CEO coming out in two weeks. Because I think a lot of times, as you mentioned there, like when you first start out, you've got the enthusiasm, um, like anyone would have, even when it's their own business, they have the enthusiasm for sales. They're going there and maybe not using the right tools. But what's what's one thing that you would share with people where, because a lot of times I hear people where they go, great, they get presented with maybe the right tools where it's the right questions, process thought patterns to have but they they get nervous or they kind of like they're like oh but that's not what i would normally say or i wouldn't normally phrase it like that and that's not how i would say it what's one thing you could share with people about maybe overcoming that for themselves because uh, a lot of the times when you know people get given a, a script or a process to follow i'm sure you guys would probably be number one fastest growing if every single person followed your process to the t and actually applied it all what, what's one thing you could share with people about uh, about that process and understanding well, I, I like think, working I think, through. I think as a, as a sales professional or an entrepreneur or solopreneur or business owner, whatever you are listening to me right now, it's all how you view what selling is. Okay. Most salespeople, I hate to say this, most companies, most sales trainers have taught them to be that selling is somehow adversarial. Like it's you against the prospect, trying to win them over, manipulate them, pressure them to make money so you can make a commission. That's what average salespeople do in 2021. Okay, we're in a different age. This is not boiler room selling from 1983. Okay, the prospect is far more skeptical and cautious than they've ever been. They don't fall for that kind of stuff with the power of the internet and social media. You just can't do that if you want to be good. Average salespeople do that, okay? Um, If you want to be great at selling, you have to start thinking uh, like what we call being a problem finder and problem solver, not a product pusher. There's a major difference in that way of thinking. Okay. Now, if you're, if you're listening to me right now and you're maybe in your office or you're in your house and you've got a pen and a piece of paper, grab that. If you're driving down the road and you're listening to Kim and I, you know, Don't kill yourself. Just remember this in your head. So I always do this exercise with people at events. And I say, look, let me ask you this question. Grab a pen and a piece of paper. And I want you to write down and I want you to answer this question. Raise your hand if your prospects have problems. Who in here has prospects that have problems? Everybody raises their hands. Yes, my prospects I talk to have problems. So everybody knows, listening to me, your prospects have problems because there's no product or service that was ever made that didn't solve some type of problem, even an emotional need problem. Like if you sell Lamborghinis, it solves an emotional need problem. It's not necessarily it gets you from point A to point B. You can buy a Honda for that, but it solves an emotional need. So anything has been invented in mankind's history that solves some type of problem. Now, I want you to write down the two biggest problems that your your product, your service solves. So write down two problems, your product, your service solves. Now look at those two problems and ask yourself, 
Does your solution solve those two problems? Does your solution solve those two problems? And everybody's going to be like, yes, my solution solves these two problems. Oh my gosh. You'd be surprised how many people don't even know what problems their prospects have when we ask them this question, like, what? I don't know what the problems are. Well, that's probably one of your problems that why well, you're not selling as much, okay? So yes, you have problems that, you, that, your, that your service, your product solves. Now, here's the question, okay? If your prospects have problems and your solution solves those problems, then what is the missing link? Why are they not buying from you? Now, when I ask that events, people are just like, it's like they, they've never thought about that before. Like, I'm not sure. I don't know. I just, I hope and pray that it's going to work out. I'm just winging it all the time. I, I can see their mind racing. Like, I don't know why they bought. Maybe it's these. Okay, let me make a suggestion. It's not your leads. It's not that you don't meditate enough in the morning or listen to enough personal development or get pumped up enough. Or it's not that you don't work hard enough. I know so many hardworking salespeople that bust their ASS off that are completely broke. You know what it is? It's what you are saying. And more importantly, not asking. That's triggering your prospects to run the other way. So once you change what you're saying, and most importantly, you learn the right questions to ask, but at the right time, with the right tonality, the right delivery, and that sales conversation, all of that changes for you. You see, in our day, like I said, you have to be better at problem finding than even problem solving. And why is that? If your prospects don't buy from you, you can't really solve their problems, right? They don't buy your services, Kim. You cannot solve their problem. So you have to think of yourself as a problem finder, okay? And that means asking the right questions that helps your prospects find problems in their mind that they didn't even know they had. You can't tell them what their problems are because you're biased. You're the salesperson. That goes in one ear out the other, right? You have to help them realize because most of your prospects, when you first start talking to them, maybe Kim, you can attest this, don't even know that they have a problem or maybe they don't know what their real problems are. Or maybe when you first start talking to them, they don't understand how bad their problems are or maybe what the consequences of the problems are if they don't do anything about solving them. Now, once you learn advanced questioning, you know, you learn any BQ, not only are you able to help them find maybe one problem, but you're able to help them see in their mind that they have two, three, maybe four other problems as well. And when you're able to help them visually see that in their mind of here's where they are, their current state, here's where they want to be. We call that their objective state. What's the gap? All of these problems that your questions have now allowed them to see that they have. How do you think they view you now? They view you as the expert, as the, you know, the trusted authority who's going to take them from here and get them the result that they want. You know, as a business person yourself, you know, what are your motivation when things are not working according to your plans? Like, what do you do? So, I'll ask this question better. You know, cry, just cry. <laughs> I know a lot of people would be listening to this, or even in our mastermind, or in in different events that you've probably been a part of. Right, as a business person, you you get stuck in the weeds. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. So, what is your first point of call? How do you address the problem, and then how do you then try to go and solve the problem? Um, I mean, the big one is to assess like whether or not it is a problem. Like I find that bringing in a sense of um, like gratitude and appreciation for where you're at. Like I always jokingly say, like at the moment, people ask how things are going and whether or not they're going well or uh, aspects of life are tough. It's like, well, we're also not in the middle of the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, it's very easy to be like, oh, things are tough. Like, 
yes, people are slow on paying their bills. The ATO wants lots of money. Like they're all just like a cost of doing business. But, you know, you've got to give yourself some perspective and be like, well, we live in arguably one of the best cities in the world to live in from a actual like living standpoint. It's a beautiful day. We have, we can walk down to the river. We can go to the beach. So like bringing that in first and being like, how big is the problem? Because most of the times, and there's a, um, like stoicism is, is very big amongst business owners because it's like most anxiety is brought on by future problems that we've uh, encapsulated in our minds that haven't happened yet. Mm. So it's like most of the times, if you think about a problem you have in your business, it's probably not a problem you have right now, unless you are a brain surgeon, unless you are a rocket scientist where you're like, cool, my rocket is taking off now and there's no, not enough fuel or there's too much fuel and it's going to blow up when it launches. That's a big problem to worry about this immediate second. Yeah, exactly. Or I need to make this incision here whilst it's top of this dude's head's cut off. Like, yes, that's a big problem to worry about. But otherwise, if you can actually remove yourself from this scenario and be like, okay, great. What's actually the problem and share it with others. Like that's the the biggest thing is that never, never worry alone. It's one of my first mentors shared that with me. A problem shared is a problem halved. And most of the time, just by talking about it, you're like, oh, it's not that big of a problem. Mm. And the reason why, especially in business, most people fall into the trap of thinking about sales and marketing is because most of the time a problem can be solved by making more sales. Yep. So I need, uh, I'm not, I don't have the right staff members to bring in more staff members. If you had more income come through, you could sort those things out. Um, mm-hmm. and a, but a lot of the time, business owners are dealing with second or third order consequences that have happened from problems in like before. I like, I don't have the right team. I don't have the right uh, funds and, and base for me to grow my business. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, cool. Mm-hmm. A simple way to do that is to bring in more revenue so that you can then solve that problem. As long as you actually solve it and then you don't just put your head back in the sand. Yeah, I mean, Biggie, Biggie once said, right, more money, more problems. Right? Exactly. But with uh, more money, you can actually fix, you know, pay to fix those problems too. So no monies, maybe no problems, but still some problems. Yeah, no money, some problems. Yeah. Yep. So no money, more problems, but you can afford to pay, pay exactly. to fix those problems. And, yeah. the, and the biggest thing is in business, like your problems don't go away. They actually get bigger. Yeah. The bigger your business gets, the bigger your problems will get, but also will improve your ability to solve those problems. What's that saying, right? Don't ask for... Don't ask for things to be easy. Ask to be better. Ask to be better. Jim Rohn.